Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Hey, okay, we're ready to go. How are you doing there, Reg? Yes, I did have a nice birthday. Thank you very much. I, I assume that the uh, the present's still in the mail. <laughs> no, no, please don't. Just joking, just joking. No, I had a nice time. Thank you very much. Let's just get started here. No lollygagging. You ready to go? Ready with the button? I'm ready with I'm ready with the content. You ready with the button? Good. Then let's do this thing. Put it in the book. Episode 399, getting close to 400, my friend. You haven't been here for all 400, but you've been here a little good clip now. So, Anyway, 399, star, smile strong. Are you ready to go? Okay, now just watch me and let's, 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 let's let that, that chemistry between us really work here and, and really nail the, the music when, after right when I give you the intro. Ready? Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. <laughs> Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget, while it's always good to listen, it's always good to also get out there and spread the word. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that you listen to a certain podcast that's called, now how does it go? Elton Jim's Captain Podcasting. And just let them know that it's your, pod, your, it's your favorite podcast, and it should be theirs, too. Your loyalty and devotion are much appreciated. If you like what you hear, don't forget, you can always go at your leisure to WGNRadio.com and go to the podcast section and click on the prompt for this podcast. Many listed there, but you go to the one that says Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. You click on that, and you will just find entertainment waiting to be enjoyed. Podcast after podcast, year after year. Just keep scrolling down and loading more. There's plenty in there. Heck, this is episode 399. Yeah, Reg, Reggie, producer, we're talking about this. We're at three ninety nine, so we're uh, we're inching to the big number next week. Four hundred. I mean, that sounds like a big number, right? I guess it is. Four hundred podcasts we're we're approaching, and um, this year is uh, our eighth year doing this podcast. Eighth consecutive year started in May of twenty sixteen, and uh, we did podcast number three hundred. I believe it was posted on February 21st, 2022, and 
Lo and behold, a little less than exactly two years later, here we are approaching number 400. We're going to do 400 next week. I don't know. Are we going to have a, a party? I, is, it, is it a surprise? You're not supposed to tell me? Is that what it is? Because I haven't heard anything. <laughs> hey, we're here. We're doing it. That's all that's important. Maybe at 500, we'll, we'll have a big celebration. I don't know. But uh, yeah, the big 400 on its way. But let's, that's not to say that, three, that episode 399 is any less important. Because it isn't. It is just as important. Now, longtime listeners of this podcast will know that while uh, we are doing and we are in the midst of episode 399, uh, there is one episode that for some reason, and I'm not exactly sure why, early on, I believe it was episode number nine, number nine, number nine, did not get posted. I did an episode nine at the very beginning of this podcast, way back in 2016, long before the long before the pandemic, long before a lot of things, right? Long before the Trump presidency started, right? There was wow. Think about that, huh? Oh no, the Trump presidency. Yeah, right. The the the, the Trump presidency didn't start until you know it wasn't elected until November of 2016. We started in May. So wow, think about that. How long this podcast has been going on? But um, early on, for some reason, I did the podcast. I used to record a couple in, uh, in advance, um, you know, just be, do the studio time. And so somehow number 10 got posted before number 9 did. We went from 8 to 10. And number 9 got passed over. And at the time, it, it didn't seem to be a big deal. Nobody even knew. I wasn't even mentioning the numbers at that time. Then I, as I started to, to mention the number, as the number started to grow, I went back in my archives of all my rundowns, and I noticed that, wait, number nine didn't get posted. Now, I did a number nine. I recorded it. But there was some kind of a technical glitch. For some reason, 9 got posted, or 10 got posted before 9, and 9 never got posted, and we just kept going on. Now, it's been several years. Like I said, this is our eighth year now. You know, in May, we we will hit eight years. And so um, I've gone through many engineers and many producers over the years, many that aren't even with the station anymore. So I mean that's that's uh, I can't find out was what happened. I'm even I don't even remember who was working on it at that time to be honest with you. But I I, I know we have it, and so I I affectionately refer to episode nine as the lost episode, similar to the way the Honeymooners, one of my favorite TV shows, uh, released a series of episodes that were taken from the original Jackie Gleason show as a skit of the honeymooner skit before it was before it was a half hour self-contained um sitcom called the honeymooners the honeymooners began as a is just a skit of many on the weekly different weekly variety shows hosted by Jackie Gleason and this skit of Ralph Cramden and his wife Alice and their neighbor Ed Norton and crazy situations became so popular as a 10 or 15 minute skit on this hour show or so so much so that at one point CBS after several years of this being a highlight of the show people wanting to see the honeymooners every week 
CBS, which also ran uh, I Love Lucy and was having great success with that as a sitcom, a domestic sitcom with a married couple and, you know, crazy situations with Lucy and Desi and, and Fred and Ethel. Uh, CBS said, well, wait a minute. We've got, why not doing the honeymooners? Uh, everybody loves sitcoms. You know, there's Ozzie and Harriet and there's Lucy and Desi. Why not Ralph and Alice? And so the, the 15 minute or the, you know, sometimes they were longer, but it's just this skit grew into its own self-contained half hour comedy show, which became one of the most popular shows on television remains, uh, one of the favorite TV shows and, and most respected TV shows of all time. Um, there's only 39 episodes of that half hour sitcom starring uh, Jackie Gleason and Audrey Meadows and Art Carney and Joyce Randolph um, because Jackie Gleason felt that the quality of these 39 episodes that started in 1955 and went through 1956, the quality was so good that he said, I don't think we can, can we, we can't maintain this. The quality was so high, and so he voluntarily took the show off, and, and later the Honeymooners returned in, in different incarnations. But that original show from 55 to 56 was only 39 episodes. In fact, to fans like myself and others who, who still just love the show, I mean, that show was on uh, you know, years before I was born, <laughs> but it was, it's been on reruns almost continu- continuously since it was taken off the air. Uh, it has such a, a, a devoted following that uh, for those of us who follow the show and, and love it so much and know every word and every line and every episode by heart, um, those 39 episodes are called the classic 39 because that's all there were. But then in the 80s, the show found uh, some new a renaissance and, and a new generation was discovering them. So much so that Jackie Gleason, being the, the smart businessman, he owned all of his original shows that dated back to the 50, early 50s, before the Honeymooners program. He owned all the other shows where the, where the Honeymooners skit was on. And so he went back and went through those shows and edited out all the, the Honeymooners skits and then created a half hour, a series of half hour programs with the, the, the different skits made into one. Uh, there were several, uh, you know, episodes of that that they were able to put together because the the honeymooner skit was so popular that it became almost a weekly thing to begin with on, the, like I said, the various Jackie Gleason variety shows before 1955. That uh, they were called the lost episodes because they hadn't been seen on television since their initial airing back in the early 50s. And so, for honeymooners fans, it was a, it was a treasure trove to get to see. Uh, the early days, some of these things, like I said, that had not been seen since they were first on, and you get a chance—you got a chance to see the way the the characters developed, and the writing developed, and the chemistry developed, and the uh, the storylines developed. Um, as a skit, you know, they were very short, sometimes seven, eight, ten minutes. As the as it grew more popular on the show, the the skits got to be a little longer, but they were still they were in a half hour long, like a regular TV show. So you know, the the the, the quality of those are not as consistent as those classic thirty nine. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the lost episodes, but there are some that are 
are right on, as you can see, the, the, especially some of the the ones that were getting closer to when then when the honeymooner show became its own entity. They were starting to really understand the characters better in the situations and the relationships, and uh, and you could see that with moving toward the ultimate honeymooners television show but it's also fun to see some of the rear very early early ones because they're very kind of crude and loud it was basically ralph yelling at alice but what gave the show its popularity was that alice unlike many wives of the 50s who were very subservient to their uh, husbands alice gave it right back to ralph even though he threatened to to soccer in the kisser and send her to the moon and all that kind of abusive kind of verbal stuff. First of all, Ralph never hurt her, so we should we should go on record as saying that he never hit her. But he was loud and he was verbal, no doubt. But the but the the thing that made the show and gave it its popularity was not only Jackie Gleason being so big and over the top, but was Alice giving it back to Jackie. She never took Ralph's uh, BS. And so she had some great zingers and one-liners and great comebacks. And so while Ralph thought he was the king of the castle, Alice really ran the road. It really ran the roost. But at the same time, she also let Ralph think he was in charge, even though she knew who really was in charge. And that's what gave the show its charm. Uh, and you knew there was a real love, besides all the bickering, there was a real love between Ralph and Alice. Uh, but it was different in that... You know, the Lucy show, Lucy was, was wild and crazy, and, and, and she was always exasperating Desi. And then you, you had, uh, you know, Ozzy and Harriet were the perfect family, the quiet family. They never raised their voices. And here came the honeymooners with Ralph Cramden. So it was this, you know, it was this working stiff, you know, working as a bus driver, coming home, frustrated, uh, always had visions of grandeur, took his frustrations out on his friends and his wife. But at the same time, there, he did have a heart, and they, as much as he was, very much like Archie Bunker in that way. Um, he also was did have a heart, and it was buried deep down in there. And it would, and don't forget, every episode of the Honeymooners ended with Ralph um, realizing how how bad he acted, and 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 how bad he was to Alice. And many of the episodes ended with, "Baby, you're the greatest," and and giving. Alice a, a big kiss and a hug and, and in his own way uh, apologizing for his crazy behavior. But anyway, the uh, the lost episodes became a very popular, and they're still out there. You can still see them on, on streaming services or on DVDs. And so I thought, well, I have my own lost episode. A little mystique to the podcast, right? What was episode nine about? Will it ever be aired? Who knows? It gives a little mystery to the to the podcast. So maybe someday episode nine will be taken out of the vaults, just like Jackie Gleason's Honeymooners episodes were taken out of the vault. We'll see. But I'm still counting that as an episode because, hey, I did the work. I recorded one. It wasn't my fault that it didn't get uh it didn't get posted, so I count that one. So, yes, we've done, this is episode 399, even though only 398 of them have been posted. But I did that one, so I'm counting it, gosh darn it. <laughs> 
And don't forget, a lot of shows like that uh, started as skits. Uh, most notably, uh, right off the top of my head, I can remember. Um, Mama's Family in the 80s, popular show with Vicki Lawrence, who played Mama. Ed, what the hell are you talking about? That started as a skit on the Carol Burnett Show. And it became a very popular show in the 80s, even though Carol Burnett uh, wasn't a star of it with. It was just basically Mama. Uh, and Ken Berry, who appeared on the on the uh, Carol Burnett show frequently. You might remember Ken Barry from Mayberry RFD, singer and dancer and kind of comedy guy. He became a star of that show with Vicki Lawrence. Um, so that was a skit that became very popular on the Carol Burnett show. And they said, wait a minute, this has, you know, this might be able to stand on its own, just like they thought with the Honeymooners. So I've got my lost episode. <laughs> Number nine. So maybe someday... Because the stands right now, this is three ninety nine, and we're on our way to four hundred and beyond. If you've been here since number one, thank you very much. And if you've been listening to all four hundred, um, you've probably heard more than I have. <laughs> I do them. I don't always listen to them, but I do them. <laughs> I, I'm I'm hearing them as I do them. Right. <laughs> so what I wanted to talk about today, um has a little connection to uh, last week's episode. Last week was my birthday, and in the eight years I've done this podcast, uh, as I said, it's never landed where I posted it on my birthday. But last week, last Monday, January 8th, was my birthday. And so I thought, well, since this only has happened one time in you know eight years and almost 400 episodes, I, I should talk about my birthday a little. I'm not really big on birthdays, and I don't really always acknowledge it, but it was falling on the day, so I thought it was appropriate. And I went into different uh, stories about different birthdays and memories that I had and parties and my, my feelings about birthdays in general, especially January, early January birthdays. And uh, so if you want to listen to that one, please, please listen. I, I, was, I was very happy with that. In fact, I actually was talking to a friend, and they've got two daughters, and, and they, were, they were there at the house, and they're both in their mid-20s. And, and I, I, I threw my little theory on them because I said that I don't think, it, you know, you don't want to have your kid born in early January because their birthday gets lopped in with the, with the Christmas holidays, and it's, 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 it doesn't really get its own importance. And I was saying how I think that couples who are thinking of having children should really be celibate from like February 15th. I'll give you a Valentine's Day. You know, that's a, a romantic holiday. Uh, but, um, you know, I'll give you from, from February 15th through May 1st, you know, be celibate. And then you can start after May because then, you know, your your, your child at least will be born you know, in February or March, far enough away from Christmas. So that's that was my and these these two young women looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> but I bet you that's going to be sticking in the back of their head sometime when they get married. I guarantee you, whether it's it's whether they follow it or not. And I know you can't plan these things all the time, but I th- I think I planted a seed. I'm we'll see, right? <laughs> but um. I just wanted to add, you know, give an addendum because I was talking about memorable birthdays. And what I forgot was an event that happened on my birthday. It was, a, it was, it was, an, it was a, an added part of one of the stories that I told. I told a story how on one of my birthdays, um, 
I went to a taping of the Mike Ditka show here in Chicago during the uh, the 80s and early 90s when Mike Ditka coached the team, the Chicago Bears. They won their last Super Bowl with Ditka. The local television show, the Mike Ditka show, was the most popular locally produced show. Maybe in, It may maybe even rivaled the popularity of Bozo, which is saying something here in Chicago. It was just as hard to get a ticket to the Ditka show as it was to get one for Bozo all those years. It was taped in the studio, a small studio at uh, WBBM Television Channel 2 here. Uh, at that time, they were at the McClure Court um, headquarters there. Um, so that was a tough ticket. They were free, but it was just hard to get because it was a very small place. But I, my friend of mine was able to get us tickets, and it turned out that the the, the, the taping of that show was on my birthday on January 8th that year of 1993. And I was telling about you know how cool it was at that time. That was a big deal, too. And I was actually on screen for most, most of the show because of where I was sitting. I was right behind Mike Ditka's shoulder. So it was a memorable birthday. Um, but what I forgot was the second part of that story. And I was reminded by it when I was uh, on my birthday, I was watching television and they were doing some recaps about, oh, this was what happened this day, uh, you know, in Chicago history. And I totally forgot that this was perhaps even a more interesting part of that story than the Mike Ditka story for my birthday. My friend that got us the tickets, the four of us went lived in Palatine, which is a, a suburb here of uh, in the Chicago area, in the northwest suburbs. And it's a very quiet, uh, you know, your typical suburban place, very quiet, not a lot of, not a lot of uh, chaos that goes on there, not a lot of crime, very quiet little, uh, you know, community. Um, you know, you're, you're very typical suburban kind of place. And um, so we went downtown, my wife and, and my friend and his wife to the taping to the Ditka show. And by the time it, you know, we did the taping and, and it finished. And then we, I don't know if we went out to eat afterwards, but by the time we came home, uh, you know, we were, we were going to just, it was going to be a late night. And so we decided to just stay over at, you know, just, you know, it was my birthday. And so we just decided that we would have, uh, you know, we just stay over at their house and just hang out. It's my birthday. It's kind of late for us to drive back to where we lived at the time. And so we're just going to stay over by their house overnight. So on our way back to Palatine from downtown, it's, it's a, you know, it's probably a good 40-minute drive. Um, we're on our way back to their house. And as we're driving up in the distance, we can see some kind of a commotion happening, some kind of an event happening. There were squad cars and ambulances and fire trucks and uh, and there were you know undercover cars you could see and there were there were actually cars police cars from from other like nearby towns too it, it was there was just all this this commotion and all these flashing lights. Um, far up. Now, my friends didn't, we didn't need to go, it was on a, right by a major intersection. But you could see there was something going on. And so, and it was like, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night, whatever time it was. 
it was in the evening um and so we you know we were at this at this event you know we were at the ditka show this is long before you know any you know you had no once again back in the in the 90s and 80s and 90s people you know i know younger people you don't even understand what we're talking about but you didn't have this immediate access to information on your body like you do now with this you know with the smartphone so if you weren't listening to news radio or something in your car, you had no idea what was happening around you. I know that's crazy to think of, but that was the kind of world we lived in. We weren't inundated with constant information wherever we were. But as we drove, we could see in the distance, wow, there's something going on up there. We weren't going to go that way anyway. We didn't have to pass that intersection, so we turned and went to their house. But we certainly were like, wow, what the heck was that? It seemed that there must have been a major car accident because that's, like I said, in, in, in Palatine, there wasn't any kind of real kind of crime that went on like that. So we just assumed there must have been some major car accident because it was at a, at a, at a very uh, you know, popular uh, and busy intersection. And so uh, we really couldn't see exactly where, but we could see it was up you know, where, the, where the traffic lights were and things like that. So... Um, we went to their house, but we were still kind of intrigued by, you know, what 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 happened here. And I said, well, let's turn the TV on. Maybe there's something that's, you know, that's going on. Well, we turned the TV on, and there was live coverage of Palatine at that intersection. And then we turned out to find that there was this this it came to be known as the Brown's Chicken Massacre. There was a, a, a robbery and a, and a mass murderer. Seven people were killed at this Brown's Chicken, which is kind of like a, a, a Kentucky Fried Chicken. Brown's Chicken was a very popular chicken franchise in the Chicago area for many years. There's still a few around, not as many as there used to be. But uh, seven people uh, were killed during this robbery. Um, and it was, it was a family owned, uh, you know, place. The two owners were there that they were killed and their five employees. And, um, so that's what was going on. And we, I don't know like what time it actually happened, but I'm sure that either closed at nine or 10 and, you know, you, any kind of a, a place, even though you have a closing time for the public, it always takes a couple more hours, or at least one or two to, you know, for the place to close officially, they you clean everything and get the, the cash registers. And that's when this robbery apparently happened and the robbery went wrong and they wound up killing everyone in the place. So it became one of the, um, you know, just horrific, local news stories not only in the chicago area but it, it 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 gained some legend because it remained unsolved for many years the 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 the, the, the bodies were found but nobody there was you know and there was there was evidence there was footprints and things like that but they they never, they couldn't, they, you know, there, nobody knew who came in. You know, security systems weren't like they are now. I mean, my gosh, and now we have these ring doorbells. All that didn't exist, you know, 30-some years ago. Um, so this, this very sad event, which at the time was one of the worst mass shootings in the Chicago area, uh, 
you know, I think probably um, only eclipsed now, maybe by the heart of the Highland Park, uh, uh, you know, shooting that happened a few years ago on Fourth of July. But as I said, uh, this took on mythic proportions because it never was solved, and it was just this very it was it was very shattering because as I said in Palatine. Um, you know, mass murders and ma- and big robberies like this never happened. So it, it it really shook the town, it shook the city, and it remained this unsolved mystery for many years. But it was on my birthday, January eighth, in nineteen ninety three, uh, that happened. So not it was a very odd day. We had this this uh, this cool experience in the early part of the evening, going to, to for a taping of the Mike Ditka show which was a big deal at that time to get tickets to the Ditka show was very cool. And then to come home and then be confronted with what happened, not only in the Chicago area, but with what, what happened less than a mile from where my friends lived. I mean, we saw it and that's why there was so many first responders and so much commotion at that intersection because they were, they were working the scene when we, when we, as we drove there, we had no idea this had happened until we, we got to his house uh, and turned the TV on as to what exactly happened. We knew something happened. And so, yeah, January 8th uh, is will, is always a day that will go down in Chicago history um, for the, the night that this, um, that this horrific uh, massacre, this shooting, and this uh, failed robbery. Well, I guess it wasn't failed. It, it, um, they did get away with money. Um, and for many years, uh, you know, this uh, this crime just went, you know, unsolved. And there was questions about how it was handled, was evidence uh, improperly uh, handled by the local, you know, Palatine police. There was a lot of different, um, you know, accusations because it's just uh, they, they couldn't find who did it. And um, finally... About 10 years later, I think it was like in 2022 or something, uh, a woman, for whatever reason, um, I guess there must have just been major guilt going on. I mean, if you mean this, this was a major, uh, you know, murder. And um, but I guess um, a woman came forth and um, and implicated her her boyfriend her former boyfriend so who knows if there was some problem there but she she came to the police and and impl- implicated um her boyfriend and a friend of his and uh and they wound up uh they did have dna from the scene in fact crazily some of the dna came from saliva from one of the robbers and murderers who ate some chicken at the crime scene <laughs> it was it was almost you couldn't have written this but these guys were so brazen i guess that's the word you use i don't know if that's the best word to use but they 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 committed this horrendous act and then they ate chicken and you know, back then, you know, I don't know how, and I don't know how sophisticated these guys were. 
Um, and this, and even the general thought about forensics, people didn't really think about that as much, you know, and know about it. I mean, you've got CSI now and all these different shows like that. That the general public knows at least the things about, you know, fingerprints and evidence, and we've had the OJ trial and all that stuff. But back then, you know, the general public and and probably a, li- a lot of criminals didn't really understand the depths of forensic medicine and the ability to you know dna and things like that and so they left the chicken that they ate you know in one of the dumpsters and they found this chicken and they 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 kept the chicken bones and the chicken parts that these guys ate they 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 had them stored and frozen as evidence and when this woman came forward uh, they had DNA samples from the from the people that she said did it, and it matched the chicken. Can you believe that? And these two guys ultimately were uh, arrested and um, and were convicted. They were both they were found guilty of uh, of murder, and they uh, they were sentenced to uh, to prison. I I believe. Um, uh, you know, I think they're still in prison now. And uh, I don't know if they, I don't think they got the, uh, I don't think they got the, uh, the death penalty. There's no death penalty in, in, uh, in Illinois now anyway. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, it was a crazy, it was just a, one of the wild stories from beginning to end, the way, the way it happened. Than the way it was solved, and 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 now it's a very busy intersection in Palatine, the the Browns Chicken store because of 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 what happened there was knocked down, and uh, I'm sure there's some people that that drive past there every day and work there every day that are you know younger people that don't even know what happened at that site, but that happened on my birthday, the same day. That we went to see the Mike Ditka show, and we we were within blocks of seeing it not happen, obviously, but seeing the aftermath as the police were all um, on the scene uh, investigating and and, find, and trying to find out what just happened. It may have—I don't know when it happened, and uh, you know when those cars. I don't know how close we were in time of when it was discovered. Uh, I think one of the the people, one of the employees. Um, their family like called police because he wasn't coming home from work. You know, he usually came home at a certain time, and now it was you know it was later than usual, and so they said, "Hey, he usually comes home at this time every night, and he's not he hasn't been home now," and that's what prompted them to go check it out. And then that, so I'm not sure how how close we were to the time that police, uh, you know, discovered it. But I, I bet you we weren't that. I don't have a total memory now of what time we got home or what it was. But I, I remember it being pretty close. Not when they said not when it happened because it happened. You know, hours before uh, it was discovered. But um, so that was a small little piece of odd Chicago history that is that took part. Uh, on my birthday, interesting day, interesting birthday. The beginning of it, very fun, very exciting. Going to the Mike Ditka show, it wasn't easy to get tickets to, so very cool. Uh, but then when you get home, 
realizing this horrific event that also happened on the uh, the same day. But I wanted to mention that because I think it's an interesting kind of uh, addendum to that birthday story. Uh, certainly, that birthday was very memorable for uh, for a couple of reasons. And I wanted to bring up today the the main thing I wanted to talk about also deals somewhat with my birthday. On my birthday, thankfully, uh, the weather here in Chicago was wasn't too bad. Uh, right after that, the next day and in, in, within the next week, we started to get some of the first real snow of our of the winter. We've had a very mild winter in Chicago up to this point both temperature-wise, and we had no snow in November, no snow in December, and, we, and, and negligible if, 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 if any did fall even in early January. But by the 9th of, of January, the day after my birthday, we got the first time where you actually had to get out there and maybe shovel snow, and the plow started. So this, the, the winter finally happened on January 9th. But on my birthday on January 8th, it was a little rainy, and uh, it was it wasn't sunny at all. It was a little miserable, but at least it was it was still in the forties, and um, and so it wasn't a, a totally a washout day. And so I decided, as I if I as I do uh, all the time, I, I talk to you about my birthday and how I think that birthdays are about parents, um, and it's because that is such an important. Our birthdays are important days for us, yes, but they were life-changing days for our parents. And we don't remember our birthdays, but our parents certainly do. It may have been the most among the most important days of their lives. They remember every detail of that day. And so I went into that last uh, podcast. But a part of um, what to do in my own way to celebrate my parents, since they're both been passed away now for um, for several years is since they passed away and they passed away within about 14 months of each other my dad passed away in 2005 and my mom passed away in 2006 uh, about 14 months apart um, but since they passed away even when my dad first did um, every I, I I I visit their graves once a month and I've done that now for, you know, going on. It's going to be almost this year in July. Um, it'll be, what, 19 years since my dad passed away. Uh, and uh, and so I go every month to visit their graves. And uh, I just, you know, the the... Thankfully, the uh, cemetery is not far from where we live. And, uh, you know, if I'm out and about running errands, um, I make a point once a month to just take a little detour. And on my way to doing something else, I'll say, oh, today I'll start, I'll go to the cemetery, and then I'll go here and here from there. So I said, it, it, the cemetery is, is relatively uh, located in a spot where it's around, you know, near enough where I run a lot of regular errands. So it, it, it is it is convenient. Um, it's not right across the street, but I make the effort, um, I believe, in just paying my respects to my parents to keep them very present uh, and, and very um, uh, 
aware in my in my life. I just like to go there. I mean, believe me, I've got great memories of my parents. I've got pictures of my parents in the house. But, you know, there's still something, uh, you know, as to where they're at. Uh, they're at um, a cemetery on the west side, Queen of Heaven Cemetery. And they're in an outdoor mausoleum. And um, so I sometimes I, I don't, it's not like I spend hours there. I will go to the cemetery. Sometimes I'm there for two minutes. You know, I'm, I'll just pull up. I'll get out of the car. I'll go to their crypt. And I'll just, uh, you know, stand there. And, and uh, there's, I have a, a little photo of them at the cemetery. They have this, they, they allow, they do it themselves. You give them a photo and they put their portrait on their crypt. And I have that. So there's a, a picture of my parents there. And um, as I said, I, I feel it's it's my way of paying them uh, the respect that I've that I have for them and, and showing my love for them of not just remembering them, not just looking at their picture, but but taking some time out of my regular day, whether it's even just for five minutes, once a month, just to be there. And uh, I'm it's, I'm not trying to brag about it. People can do whatever they want in terms of uh, of how they remember their parents. But for me, um, it it it, it I, I just feel like I'm 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 paying them a little extra by by taking some time out to go and 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 visit them, if you will. Uh, as I said, it's not I, I I'm not there for hours. I'm not crying over the the things i'm not you know i i I always go there on holidays and put different little cards and things on you know on their crypt and things like that but there's sometimes and there's no holidays no birthdays and so i'll just okay i'm gonna go and stop by the cemetery in because i haven't gone yet this month but i always make a point uh, like I said, I'll go there on their birthdays individually. I'll go there on their anniversary, obviously for holidays and things like that. Mother's Day, Father's Day. But um, I always go to visit their them at the cemetery on my birthday. Because I said, once again, I believe it's a day to celebrate and remember our parents. And so uh, this year, um, and, and, and my, my, my father's parents are also buried in the same cemetery in a different mausoleum, in a different older part. They passed away uh, before I, both of my father's parents passed away before I was born. Um, but I don't, so my, my, the, the question that I have, um, so I, before I get to that, so I, I visited um, on my, uh, on Christmas Eve when I visited my parents, I went to see my my father's parents, my grandparents, in the other mausoleum. I don't always go to see them. Um, I I never met them. Um, I've I've heard amazing stories about them. Some great stories from my from my dad and my and my aunts. He had five sisters, so I heard many stories about them. And I do feel as if I know them, and I have pictures of them. But I didn't know them. Um, but I still visit them. And when my dad, when I was a young kid. Um, we would go there and visit their crypts with me and my dad and my mom uh, on on a fairly regular basis. 
you know, once again for holidays, but then other times that 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 cemetery was near where uh, some family members used to live, and so when we would visit them, sometimes we would leave a little earlier and go to the cemetery and and see my dad's, uh, you know, just pay respects to my dad's parents. So, so from an early age, uh. You know, going to the cemetery was part of kind of a routine. It wasn't a regular routine, but it was certainly something that we did with some regularity. And so then I saw my parents on Christmas Eve, and I saw my grandparents, my father's parents, on Christmas Eve. And then on my birthday, two weeks later, on the 8th of January, I went to, once again, see my parents which will then will be for January, right? Starting the new year off, I'll see them once a month. Just so happens in January, it's my birthday. So I will have, I've now seen them for my, I've done my, my, my monthly visit, but I do it on my birthday as a tribute to them. As I said, I think birthdays are a day to celebrate our parents. But I also then went to see my mother's parents, uh, and they're at a, at a different cemetery, completely different area in Chicago, uh, St. Adelbert's Cemetery on the northwest side. My, my mom's parents, like my mom, were Polish, and that's more of a Polish uh, cemetery. And so, uh, but I thought it would be nice to, to, on my birthday, I just saw my father's, grand, my father's parents, my grandparents on my father's side, and I should visit my grandparents on my mother's side and uh there they don't have a mausoleum they're in the ground and so thankfully there was no snow on the ground yet and uh and so i was able to uh to you know clean off some of the leaves and i went to visit uh you know my my mother's parents now i i did not know my grand my my maternal grandfather, he died about 10 years before I was born. Uh, he was a young guy. and um, But I did know my my mother's mom, my grandmother on my mother's side. Uh, but once again, sadly, she died when I was only four. I have memories of her. I really do. I don't know when our memories start, but I do have some very vivid memories of my grandmother, who I used to call Nana. And uh, and so I thought uh, for this birthday I wanted to uh, to also not only visit my parents but also then go to the other cemetery and visit um, my other grandparents. And like I said, I never met my my grandfather, but I did meet um, and spend some time with my grandmother. And I do remember when she passed away. I remember the the, the funeral. I remember staying with her many times, and we went on vacation with her. I remember that. So I do have memories of her, but, you know, it, that's been quite a few years now. Um, but I still have pictures of her, and I still have very fond memories of her. Um, and so when I went to these cemeteries... You know, both on Christmas Eve and on my birthday, and I went to these different mausoleums and these different, uh, you know, burial plots. Um, I have to say that when I went to all of them, I went on Christmas Eve in the morning to see my parents for Christmas Eve, 
put a card uh, on their crypt, and I went to see my grandparents in another mausoleum on the same site. And then on my birthday, again, went to see my parents, and then went to this other uh, cemetery to see my maternal grandparents. Um, I went, you know, it, it, in, in the morning, in, in the afternoon, and there was no one at these cemeteries. And it really got me thinking. I mean, do, I mean, let me ask you. Um, I, I, as I said, I, I, don't go, I, don't, I don't go to cemeteries all the time. Uh, but I do go once a month to see my parents. So I guess you could say more than the average person. And I think part of that comes from, as I said before, even with my mom, we would visit my, 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 my mom's parents, my grandparents' graves then, uh, you know, after they passed away throughout my life, not with as much regularity as the years went on. But I remember being a little kid because, you know, when I was a little kid, their parents had just died. Uh, you know, they, they, the, the wound was still fresh to some extent. Um, my grandfather, I believe, died um, about six years. My, my paternal go- grandfather died about six years before I was born. And my paternal grandmother died like three years before I was born. So even when I was, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten, you know, those, those passings were still somewhat fresh for my dad. And, and the same thing with my mom, even though, you know, my, my, her father passed away 10 years before I was born, but her mom passed away, you know, when I was four. And so while I was 10 or 11 or 12, once again, the loss was still somewhat close. And so we would visit, you know, their parents. And so it became a regular thing, not every week, but certainly on uh, on different holidays and maybe a few times in between if we were in the neighborhood. Oh, let's stop and see them. But it, it was a part of our routine. It wasn't a regular routine, but it wasn't something that we did once every five years. We did it with some regularity. And so even though, you know, I was visiting people like that, most of the, you know, most of those people I didn't, I never met. I didn't meet three of my grandparents. And even the one grandparent that I did know to some extent, I was only four when she passed away. But I still, I saw the way visit. I saw the way my parents reacted when they went to the cemetery, the reverence that they had, and uh, you know, I, I saw the love on their faces, and so that always stuck with me. And so when they passed away, as a tribute not only to them and our relationship, but I remember how important it seemed for them to visit their parents. And so while we never really discussed it, I think that while because visiting their parents at their graves on a somewhat regular basis, seemed to be important to them, I think that my parents would be hoping that I would visit them because I would be feeling the same way about missing them 
that they felt about missing their parents. So in a way, I'm I'm paying, um, you know, kind of respects and honor to my parents uh, on a couple of different levels. I'm paying the respect to them of our relationship, but then I'm also paying respect to them for the relationship that they had with their parents. And in some way, at least in my own mind, saying that there is a lesson that I did learn from them of how much they they loved their parents, that they wanted to 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 feel that connection as much as you can by going to the cemetery. And and so when I saw how it affected them, my lesson is that I would want to feel that same feeling for them because of them, if you understand what I'm getting at. So um, that's why I go. And I remember as being a little kid. Now, this is, you know, several decades ago, 40, 50 years ago, going there. And more people, it seemed, were around in the cemeteries visiting their their loved ones. Now, believe me, I still see people, when I go to the cemetery, sometimes, depending on the day, if, it, if it's a holiday, you'll see it more often, obviously, than just some regular day. I still see people visiting. I still see... Um, you know, flowers and things like that at grave sites. So obviously there are people visiting on a regular basis. But I certainly don't see as many as I used to. And I wonder, you know, especially, you know, we have a a different view. Religion is not as, I mean, for for the masses, I I don't want to make a general statement here, but um, you know, a lot of people now get cremated. Um, you know, so maybe a lot of people aren't even buried anymore. So cemeteries are trying to find ways, uh, you know, because the upkeep is still there, even though people have paid for these crypts. You know, I mean, my my gosh, my grandparents have been buried for for Jesus what more than sixty years. They 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 paid that off sixty years ago. There's no. There's no revenue coming from that crypt anymore, but there's a lot of expenses for lights and upkeep and things like that. And uh, I do notice that, you know, there's no question that people are still being buried to some extent. But I wonder if going to visit people is as popular and is as much of a family routine as it was. I know some people that never go to the cemetery. They don't like cemeteries. They don't want to, you know, they feel that they remember their their loved ones um, on their own. And I understand that. But the thing is, I, I'm, and maybe by going, having gone to cemeteries from a young age with my parents on a semi-regular basis, maybe that became kind of a part of, of my personality or inquisitiveness i'm not i'm not uh i'm I'm comfortable in a cemetery 
And even when I go on vacations many times, and I talked about this, I think, on the podcast, when I go to, to vacations many times, I will go to cemeteries in different cities. Or I'll go to major cemeteries here in the Chicago area. Once again, if you want to find an, an if you want to spend an, an, an interesting day in the summer, and you're in the Chicago area, go to the Graceland Cemetery, which is on Clark and Irving in Chicago. It was one of the most prominent, and still is one of the most prominent cemeteries in chicago's history and many of the pioneers and some of the the famous families and famous people of chicago are buried there like marshall field and potter palmer of the palmer house marshall field of the marshall field store daniel burnham many other famous people charles dickens's brother is buried in graceland cemetery if you can believe that, in an unmarked grave with just a small little number on it. Uh, and there's some, and, and back then, because of the religious, the, 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 the much more, um, you know, deep religious uh, feeling that was going on, you know, 100 years ago, the fear of heaven, you know, the fear of hell and the, and the ecstasy of heaven, uh, many of the of the gravestones in Graceland, because there are some prominent families, and it was kind of a, an upscale uh, cemetery. Some of the of the statues and the gravestones are elaborately designed, and they're beautiful. And some are kind of almost, you know, gothic. You know, some look like you know the Grim Reaper, and some are angelic. And and to, to and, and they give you a map, and you can walk around to see some of these. These famous grave sites and these famous gravestones and some of these, I mean, the, the, the Marshall Field and the Padre Palmer, they're almost like temples. And if you go to a lot of, of, of cemeteries, you will see that, especially in older cities. I've gone to the cemeteries in Salem, Massachusetts, because I did the play The Crucible, and and that's where many of the the uh, the people that were executed for being witches were buried in. And so I found that interesting to actually see the actual grave sites of these characters that were in this play. But we've gone to cemeteries in in uh, in, in Europe and around the country uh, that are they're well known for having very famous people uh, buried there. We just recently were in France over the summer. We went to one of the famous um, cemeteries there. We saw Oscar Wilde's grave and Edith Piaf's grave and some other artists and some well-known people. Once again, uh, uh, from European, uh, Rossini, the, uh, the composer, many people in the arts and business, all in this, in this cemetery, famous cemetery in the outskirts of Paris. Jim Morrison was buried there, saw his grave. Uh, we have been to uh, Arlington Cemetery. In, uh, in Virginia, in the United States, where all the veterans are buried with the white gravestones. This summer, we went to Normandy Beach, and we went to uh, the cemetery where in France, where many of the um, uh, Americans are born or are buried there that fought uh, in, Normandy, in Normandy Beach during World War II. So 
I've always been intrigued and felt very comfortable in cemeteries. I look at them from a, from a historical standpoint, uh, to some extent, as well as, obviously, a personal standpoint. Uh, Extent, but I wonder how many people. The, the more I go, I wonder: Do people really go to cemeteries as much as I think they? As it, it, at least it felt like in the past. I don't know if younger people, if that's part of their routine. Uh, I think people want to be buried somewhere. That's fine, but I don't know how many people after this funeral. I don't know how many people ever really go back. It doesn't seem as crowded as it used to. And maybe I'm just there at the off times. I don't know. But I'm just, I'd be curious to know if you wanted to put any messages on my Facebook page. If you visit your loved ones at cemeteries on any kind of regular basis, or do you rather just do your memories of them uh, on your own without having to go physically to the cemetery? I just feel like... I, I it's 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 giving a little extra effort to make the to to go there and to say I'm taking time out from whatever my busy day might be to at least I feel that I could one day out of each month I think I could find an extra half hour to drive and and go and visit my parents um I think I can find that. I find that that I I think that's that's a part of my my regular routine. Now, one thing that I found very interesting, which I had not seen before, as I said, my grandparents have been in this mausoleum, this indoor mausoleum, uh, you know, for for more than uh, you know sixty years now, almost. Well, yeah, and uh, and I don't know, and I think it was built like in the fifties. And now I know when I was a little kid and we would go to visit my, my, my dad's parents, my grandparents, when we would go there on a Sunday sometimes or something, I mean, there was a lot of people walking around in that mausoleum. And now over the years when I've gone to visit my grandparents in that indoor mausoleum, I rarely see anyone in there. And now even there's motion lights so there the lights are not even on in the in the hallways of the mausoleum because they have like these little rooms where the you know my grandparents are in the in one of the hallways but they also have these little rooms and so there's couches and places to sit and you go in the rooms or like I said where my grandparents are in the hallway and then there's a little room inside where the crypts are a little smaller but the lights don't go on until you start to walk down the hallway because, as I said before, you know, there's a lot of expenses to keep these these huge mausoleums. In fact, I, I went online to just to get some information, and apparently this Queen of Heaven mausoleum in Hillside, Illinois, is the biggest Catholic mausoleum in the country, and it looks like a city. It's really big. And so they're obviously, you know, finding ways to, well, how can we cut down on the expenses? There are electricity bill. They used to have those lights on, I don't know, you know, at least eight hours a day because there was kind of a regular stream of people. But I think as the decades have gone by, I mean, it's not even that people don't visit. If you think about it, like, for instance, my grandparents have been there for 60 years, right? Well, 
my, my parents are gone. So my dad is gone. So now that person is gone. Their kids are gone. And now, you know, I'm here and, you know, and, but so we got almost three generations, and if and, and my generation wasn't really raised on going to cemeteries as much as maybe the older generations was. So you're having, you know, I would just think less people visiting cemeteries. At least it feels that way. And obviously, as I said, the the mausoleum, you know, with these with these motion detector lights, are obviously realizing that hey, we can't. We, there's no need to run these lights eight hours a day or nine hours a day when no one's coming in here. And I've even seen now, once again, I think there's still uh, people that that want to be buried in, in a crypt of somehow, in a mausoleum. They don't want to be in the ground. More people, yes, are being, um, are being cremated, but at the same time, they still have their urns. They still want to be somewhere, not just on somebody's shelf in the house, you know. And what uh, this was interesting. I never saw this before because I hadn't. Uh, been to see my grandparents in, in, in the last you know six or eight months, so I wasn't aware of this. But now, as I said, there's, there's hallways and there's these rooms that you go into where then there's all the crypts and the walls and the rooms as well as in the hallways. But on one side of the hallway, there are the crypts, and the one side, then there's the rooms you know, in between. So there's not a lot of space. So there would be couches there for people to sit and things like that. Well, now, because I think there's not a lot of people visiting, and a lot of these couches look like they've been there since the 1960s, they are building new crypts in the hallway, extending them out from some of the hallways. They can't put them in the walls because of where the other crypts are. So they're building them next on these, they're taking out some of the couches and putting four crypts into the hallway. There's still enough room to walk, but they're once again finding new ways to find some revenue to keep to help the upkeep of these places. And there's obviously some people that say, hey, I would rather be buried. I don't want to be buried in the ground. Uh, I want to be buried in a crypt. And you know, they're, they're not building these outdoor, these indoor mausoleums anymore. So this mausoleum is finding a way to give people a chance to be buried in a in the indoor mausoleum without building a new mausoleum. They're just building new crypts, finding some available space to add new crypts within the indoor mausoleum. As well as they're building new little niches. If you see in some of the cemeteries, they have now these smaller little niche areas where you can put your your the urn in, and so those aren't as don't need to be as big as for putting in a casket. But now apparently, I haven't seen these yet. I saw a sign that there are some glass niches because I mean, if you have a crypt and you put the urn in there, then it's sealed by a stone. So apparently. People are buying elaborate urns, and so now they're creating niches indoors, at least from what I've seen, that uh, are glass, so that the urn is put into this sh- this glass shelf niche, and I'm sure it has a nameplate and maybe even a photo because it's got you know just the urn, and uh, and that's another way of you know, offering people the burial 
uh, a traditional burial with a, with a with a plot of some kind and a recognition of them with their name and their date and their pictures. But at the same time, perhaps you know, moving toward more modern day realities that people are getting um, cremated and so they don't need the big crypts so they're building these niches but at the same time there's they're trying to be respectful and 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 give the people you know a more traditional burial even though we're moving away from traditional burials as they were 40 or 50 years ago but i'm just wondering if in today's world um are cemeteries I don't know, a thing of the past. Or are people still visiting them with any regularity? Or, or and, and, and I don't know. As I said, for me, it's something that I feel that uh, I do willingly on my own. No one told me to do it. I just felt it was a nice tribute. I do see some people, but certainly not as many as it seemed like I did see when I was a little kid many, many, many years ago. But uh, I always find that, uh, as I said, uh, I, I look at a cemetery as an, an, as, as, as an interesting place um, to see the way, you know, the, the gravestones are. Some people go to great expense. They have these mini mausoleums. They have these elaborate gravestones. Some people have very simple gravestones. They said some people now have these niches with their with their. Uh, with their ashes uh, in them. My mom and dad's, as I said, are outside. I've got the little photo on it. They never used to have that as, a, as an option. Now they do. Um, but I find it as a place of, of both solace and comfort at times, um, as a place to do honor, but also as a historic place too, to see different people, there, just to see the, the the ages and the names, and uh, sometimes I've discovered people that I've been relate that I that I've known, like that the relatives. I'll say, "Hey, is your?" Is, I went to the thing, and I saw this last name. Is that related to you? Oh yeah, they're 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 three crypts away from my parents. Who knew? So I look at it as a historical thing too. As I said, I've gone in different cities. Um, it's an interesting concept if you really think about it this whole idea of a cemetery and the thought about it think about all the land that we have dedicated to cemeteries so there has to be some meaning and and uh and connection to that so i wonder if that's still a part of our modern day viewpoints but i find value in it and the very simple way of paying respects. And so, yes, on this birthday, I went to see my parents. I went to see my maternal grandparents. And I had seen my uh, fraternal grandparents on Christmas Eve. And so I felt that that was a nice little tribute to my family in my own way for my birthday and for the holidays to to pay respects not only to those people some who i knew but also to pay respects to not only my parents but to pay respects for my parents feelings for their parents 
that in some way I'm I'm doing their their duty because they would be visiting their parents if they were still here. And so I feel like it's my responsibility to carry that torch for them. So I visit them and I visit their parents for me and for them. The cemetery is a, an interesting concept. It's interesting in 25 years or in another 100 years, will we still even have cemeteries? I don't know. There are some things about modern society that are moving very quickly. And then there's things in modern society that still remain traditional. I wonder where cemeteries will fall. But for right now, they've been a part of my life since I was a little kid. And visiting the cemetery is still a part of my life today. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion are much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 399. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. From the end of my mind to your ear.